Welcome to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas, clinical psychologist, couples therapist, and founder of The Thomas Connection. I help high-striving busy people let go of the pressure of perfection to create more joy, connection, and compassion in their lives. On this podcast, we promote balance of a burnout through giving you the permission to pause, the curiosity to find your purpose, and the courage to play. Welcome back to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas. I say welcome back, but this may be your first time listening to the podcast. We're growing and growing and growing, getting more and more people to show an interest in understanding the psychological processes behind living life. All the things that play out for us, all the things that cause us pain and hardship, but also all the things that can connect us with joy and fun and connection. In this episode, I'm going to talk about one of the darker things of living life, coming to terms with your past. Dealing with your past compassionately is a really helpful thing to do, which can lead you to a brighter, better future. Making peace with what you've been through can help you embrace who you really are, coming to terms with the story and not letting it define you anymore, but also not disconnecting from it. And to my aid to do that, I've got a special guest today, Dr. Natalie Bodart, who is a clinical psychologist who I've connected with over the years of us both working with compassion-focused therapy. So you'll hear more about that type of therapy form today as we're both kind of singing from the same hymn sheet, if you you may. I also want to acknowledge that if you're new to the podcast, this may be quite a strong episode for you, thinking about past issues. Do take your time going through back episodes of the podcast as well. Listen through all the other episodes where we shared about living life. Everything from parenting to work to juggling your work-life balance and having a better postnatal journey. There's lots of things we've got to cover on this podcast. So if you're new to it, do me a favour of leaving a review at the end of this episode. I want to then dive deep into the conversation today about how we can compassionately deal with our past. My guest, Dr. Natalie Bodart, is a clinical psychologist and the founder of the Bodart Practice, a holistic psychology practice in London. Natalie recognised that busy modern lives can leave so many of us feeling overwhelmed and hitting a wall. When this happens, people tend to cope through disconnection from themselves, their relationships and their hopes. She founded the Bodot practice to support people in creating a fulfilling life where they feel present and connected again and to enable people to deal with the past, live in the present and build the life that they want. So on with the show and let's have a chat with Natalie. So welcome, Natalie, to the podcast. It's a real joy to have you here. We've faffed about a little bit with technology around this, so we're going to try to do our best to step into our compassionate versions of ourselves to be able to have a lovely, nourishing conversation. So welcome to the podcast. And why don't we start by introducing you a little bit to the listeners by thinking about your story, your journey of why you are here today and why you do what you do for a living. Sure. Thanks, Michaela. And such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on. So it's interesting. Yeah, my story of getting here is, is I suppose, a long and winding one, really. But, you know, I'm a clinical psychologist, but I'm also a mum of two boys. I live and work in London. And I suppose my journey of getting here has been through I suppose following something that I was interested in ultimately, so being interested in people and I think just realising quite early on that I was never going to be somebody who could sit in an office and be in that sort of open plan office corporate environment. It wasn't something that suited me very well or that I could gel well with. So I kind of went with that. I went with what I was interested in. I progressed. I learned more about humans and psychology. And I think in hindsight, I think I've always been somebody who has been an advocate for other people and wanted to support other people to uh, to strive and to be, I suppose when I say strive, what I mean is to be able to confront challenges or to be more sure of themselves I guess I'm thinking about just three friendships earlier in life actually and then as I've gone on and practiced as a psychologist over the years I really realized that one of the things I was quite passionate about is to 
brings psychology out of the clinic room in many ways. So often when we're struggling, we're dealing with our mental health, when we're dealing with lifestyle challenges or relationship challenges. There's, there's sort of this idea that you come and see a psychologist and you have to sit behind closed doors and we do the work and then you go back out there into the world. And one of the things that was really important to me was this sense that actually in itself it can feel very isolating, very lonely, there's stigma around that. So I really wanted to create a practice in which I could bring that out into uh, a place where we could offer a sense of community, a sense of belonging, but also that we could help people not just to sit and work in talking therapies, but we worked with the body as well, because so much of what we feel, so much of what we experience is held in the body. Emotions are such a bodily experience as anybody who feels anxious or has ever felt a difficult emotion will relate to. So I really wanted it to be a place of community, a sense of belonging, where we could work with the body as much as the mind. And that's really led me into developing the practice that I work in now, so the Bodark practice, which is a holistic psychology practice. And I work with a lovely team of other psychologists and holistic practitioners, um, and we do that work with our clients. And I guess that's the, the word there, holistic, is allowing the body and mind, the duality there, that kind of, there's a combination of body and mind and the mind affects the body and the body affects the mind. And having seen some of the things you do on social media and talking to you about the workshops and things you offer in the Bodot practice, it's very clear that working holistically is very important to you and is connected with your values and around your purpose as serving the whole human and not just getting sort of stuck in the in the therapy chair. So it's really nice to hear how you've kind of started connecting with your purpose and wanting to help people holistically. And I think today in our conversation, we're going to think a lot about why dealing with the past is a really helpful way of moving forward in the present and, and securing a better future for yourself. So we're going to talk a lot about that and linking it with compassion, because both you and I are obviously trained in compassion-focused therapy. So I want to ask you as a psychologist, you know, working with therapy, um, with clients, obviously do a lot of different things. You provide workshops and things like that too. But when you work one-to-one in therapy as a psychologist, why is it important to help people deal with their past? And what does it even mean to deal with the past? So I think when we think about the past, essentially what we're talking about is your story. And there's something very powerful, I think, about being able to tell your story to connect with your story so your story is unique as much as my story is unique and we can think about our stories as starting from when we're born but we can also think about our stories as extending beyond us so into the past of our families into generations before us thinking about the cultures environments and contexts that we grew up in and the events really that have led us here to the present. Um, and it's sort of what makes us human, isn't it? Because, you know, we often talk in compassion-focused work about, you know, we all arrive here with, with these tricky brains that have evolved. And actually, as we then progress along the course of life, we come up against many different challenges, but also many opportunities. And it reveals sort of how we've come to understand ourselves. So maybe through how we've been parented, through our relationships, perhaps through the experiences we've had at school or the experiences we've had in life more generally. And through those experiences, we come to understand who am I? How do I understand myself? But how do I understand other people in my life? How do I understand life in general? And it sort of helps us to bring a deeper sense of compassion and understanding to why things are a struggle in the present. For example, I think if if we're feeling anxious or we're feeling something difficult in the present, if we don't connect to those stories, often I find that people, people can feel very self-critical. They can say, well, it's just ridiculous or I just need to get over it. And there could be quite this harsh, this harsh kind of lack of understanding or, or, or empathy for oneself and just wanting to do the work and get beyond it, which I completely understand. But actually... Often when we connect with the story and say, well, let's just understand, you know, what was happening before this, what's led up to this time, we start to bring a greater understanding to it and say, well, actually, now that I've thought about that, it's starting to make a lot more sense to me why this is particularly difficult for me in this moment. 
And the other thing about telling our stories is that it's not often all bad. In fact, it's very rarely all bad. So there's also been moments of strength, of resilience, of success, moments that we can be really proud of. And actually, those moments are very hard to think about when we're in a moment of difficulty or struggle, but they can be incredibly helpful to us when we are on the journey of working with something that feels difficult. Um, I think what I would say is that when we have had a very difficult past or our story is very difficult or traumatic even, it's very understandable that we want to avoid it or not think about it or we want to split off from it. And what I mean by that is almost kind of not associate with it. That was me then, this is me now, I am not the same person and I can't think about that. But actually that in itself can cause this inner conflict and sense of anxiety. So for me, I think dealing with it, when I say deal with the past, I guess what we're really talking about is with compassion, with safety, with gentleness, confronting that story, being able to bear witness to it, give it words that it may have never had, and just being able to hear and tell that story in different ways. And also, parts of that story may be held in the body. So in terms of pain or illness or emotion that's blocked or held in the body. And again, I think those are also stories that our body tells in different ways. That's really fascinating, isn't it? It's almost like a surrendering element of it, that if we are to move forward, well, one way of making peace with the past is to tell that story as this is belonging to me. This is my story. This is my journey making peace with it, accepting it doesn't mean we have to like what we've been through, but it's stopping that struggle against it and surrendering into that this has been part of the shaping of me uh, through no fault of my own, as we often talk about in compassion-focused therapy, that this is not my fault that I experienced this sort of um, parenting or these difficult life experiences, but it's also I have a, an accountability in the present moment to try to face it, to try to do hard things. And it sounds like the way you talk about you know, the benefit of psychological therapy there is to help you face these difficult stories and also illuminate the full picture that there might have been highlights as well as a low points. So I really like that idea of sort of understanding as a story, you know, the journey of that. So can you tell a bit, bit more about sort of narratives? Often people think about storytelling or narrative therapy or these kind of ter- terminology that can be difficult. What, how is it helpful to to use storytelling and different narratives in our healing journey? Yeah, I think the joyful part about it um, is that there are many ways to tell a story. So it really depends. If we ever tell a story, any story at all, it really depends on who we're talking to. So who we're talking to, how we feel on that particular day at that particular time. It depends on how much information we have or how little information we have. And I'm often struck, and, after, and often the clients that I work with are often struck, where they might come and tell me a story, and they may have told that story many, many times to many, many people, and only when they come into a therapeutic environment and setting that suddenly there's a lot of emotion that comes along with it. And so actually through the therapy journey or the healing journey, we revisit the story many times. So there's a first telling of the story which may be a story that has been told many times before, a rehearsed story. But actually, as we go along on that journey, there's often a retelling of that story or of even different stories. Um, And certainly, so a lot of the work that I do with my clients have a special interest in working with trauma and childhood trauma. And we know that trauma memories are often held in quite a fragmented way. Um, in the mind, in the brain. And part of that journey is filling in the gaps in in many ways. So allowing that story to have a beginning, a middle and an end. And the end is important. So the end is this idea that it is over, that it is not happening anymore. And actually, I think we can consider the forgotten stories or neglected stories that start to come up as we start talking and understanding. Um, And of course, the meanings that are attached to them. So a story is never just statements of fact. A story is how it made us feel. A story is about what that meant to us, what it means to us now, what it meant to us then. And some people choose to find out more about their stories along the course of their journey. So they finally have conversations they may never have had. They may go and find out other things about their family history that they may not ever have known. 
And actually, I think through the process of this storytelling and connecting with our past, one of the key parts of that is is working with the fear of avoidance. So once we start to ease the fear of avoiding that story, suppressing that story, we start to allow in the opportunity for there to be some choices. So actually, now that I don't feel like I'm spending so much time and energy you know, holding that down, if you like, like a, um, we often say, you'll have used this before, I'm sure, Michaela, but like, you know, one of those inflatable balls under the swimming pool, um, you know, it's a lot of time and energy to do that. So when we allow it to come up and float around, we suddenly have a bit of choice, or maybe I could swim around the pool a little bit, maybe I can decide what I'd like to do with that ball now. And, you know, I guess it's the experience of hearing the story out loud, of writing it down, of looking at it, how does it sound to speak it to somebody else? And also, what is it like to have someone sit there um, in a compassionate way and to reflect on that and to show empathy and compassion back to that story? So why is it so important then that both for us as therapists, but also for for you as an individual going through trauma therapy, for instance, why is it so important to cultivate compassion for yourself when dealing with a tricky past? I think compassion is important because if we don't have compassion then often what we might be facing is a sense of responsibility or shame or blame that, you know, we've been really suffering with that story for so long. And, you know, compassion isn't easy. I guess that's one thing I sort of always want to flag about compassion, that when we talk about it, and it was actually a term that took me a while to understand myself, But I guess what we're talking about with compassion, of course, is this idea that we can be sensitive to suffering, that we are tolerating a level of distress. Now, that in itself is not easy, of course, but it's also that sense that we're not alone, that actually suffering is a part of life, which is something we talk about often, and that as such, other people also struggle and suffer. Um, and the thing I love about compassion is the part that we talk about strength, this, this idea that actually to talk about a tricky past, adversity, challenge, is about strength, is about being able to connect with that sense of strength in yourself, really. So, you know, as psychologists or therapists, we model that to begin with, of course. You know, we bear witness to those stories. We can validate and tolerate and show curiosity and interest to those stories. And compassion can be deeply soothing when we connect, can connect with that and offer that to ourselves. And it can also allow us, once we get a bit below some of the shame and the fear, it can, it can lead us into other emotions that we might need to feel. And that might be something like sadness or grief or loss for things that were missed or lost um, or that didn't happen. And I think that's really powerful because compassion both has that element of the down regulating the soothing the helping you to kind of come to it at ease and of a calm and connection but also has the element to kind of rally you to be able to kind of make you stand tall in the face of difficulty and I think that's the thing that really is remarkable or what the hardship that people have faced in the past and when we then develop compassion for the past we have the capacity to to go through the journey again, to listen to it again, to retell the story again, takes a lot of strength, takes a lot of courage and bravery. Because like you said, when we have fear, we're going to want to avoid. Uh, that's just natural human responses, isn't it? We all do that. You know, if when I'm fearful, I don't want to do something that's scary. So cultivating compassion for yourself when dealing with the past, if I'm understanding you correctly, it sounds like that is going to enable the person to tolerate the pain, to tolerate, it's almost like sticking your foot in hot water and like, oh, it's a bit hot, but I can kind of, I can bear it. Uh, and then you might find yourself um, very pleased that you did that hard work. So what is the reward? You know, why, why would people go through the past and, and make peace with it, stop struggling against it, accepting it, retell the story differently? What's the reward if they can do that? Well, I, think, I think the reward is... I suppose stepping out of something that feels stuck. So often people will come to see me, a psychologist, or come to see a therapist because they've really tried everything. You know, often, you know, it's been a long road of, well, I've tried this and I've tried that and I've been struggling for a long time now and actually I just keep getting stuck. And I think that that is this idea that we we might find ourselves repeating patterns of the past 
maybe not even that consciously actually, but we might just be aware of a pattern, for example, I keep getting stuck in these relationships that are not healthy for me or that are abusive in some way, or noticing patterns of self-protection or avoidance perhaps, or even in self-medicating, so drink or drugs. And I think that when we start to connect with and bring awareness to the story and the past, and particularly the emotions and the meanings that are connected to it, then we can start to think about, well, actually, I really needed to do that at the time. Whatever the coping strategy was, I actually really needed that because I had to cope, I had to survive. It was the only way that I knew how. Maybe it was the only way that was ever modelled to me about how to cope and survive. But actually, now that I can see it for what it is, perhaps I can realise that that danger is no longer present in my life. So I don't need those in my life anymore. Perhaps they have become overused or overlearned. And that actually, by making that realisation, noticing those patterns, we can start to piece together, okay, well, let's work certainly on what needs to be processed from the past, but also let's really think about what would you like in your life now? What would that look like, you know, without being stuck in those patterns, without repeating those patterns? What is it that you'd like to work towards? What would this life be like now? What would this future be like now? And we can start to think about what values that person has, the direction they want to be moving in, and work step by step towards that. So there's something there about how when you make peace with the past and talking to yourself differently about what you did or didn't do in the past, as those safety-seeking strategies probably made a lot of sense at the time, they might have been the only options you had, then understanding that they may not be needed anymore, they might be superfluous now, they may not serve the same purpose in the present, we can then move towards a better future. And that could be really rewarding in itself. I guess if you can think of breaking those relationship patterns, you might then find and meet someone who is treating you better, or you might ask for what you need in a relationship in a way you didn't in the past. So that's a really powerful benefit, I suppose, of doing the work of, of healing this past um, trauma or difficulty you've been through. And one of the things I often hear in the therapy room, and I'm sure you do as well, that there's obviously a lot of shame and stigma around talking about difficult pasts, especially things that happened in, in our childhood. Uh, when we kind of stored in that information as children, it's far less abstract and, and you know, much more concrete. What words of wisdom do you have for our listeners who may feel too ashamed of what they've experienced or too afraid to talk about it? with other people how can they soften that shame yeah I think I think the first thing I would say is that well that I'm sorry really that I'm sorry that that is has what's happened to them and what they're feeling and that that those fears can be very real and they can be very crippling and I say that because I think it's so important that we can validate to ourselves as as well as for other people that how powerful that emotion can be because shame you know we are as human beings we're very we're social beings you know we are we need each other to survive right from the get-go and shame is so powerful because it is all about how we see ourselves reflected in the minds of other people so if we're filled with shame it's understandable that um, in order to preserve our social connections you know even from a survival point of view that we, we sort of move away you know we want to hold it in But I think from a practical point of view, you know, so that's sort of more about showing empathy for yourself, validating that emotion, being able to name it. But also from a practical point of view, I think it's useful to explore, you know, some of the questions like, well, you know, what are the pros and cons of being able to talk about my past and share my story? So the pros of sharing it, the cons of sharing it, but also the pros and cons of not sharing it you know, what would that be like? What would that be like in my life now? What might it be like for my life in the future? Um, A bit like a cost benefit, if you like. But also thinking about if I was going to start to share this story, if I was going to start to give myself permission to break out of some of these patterns that have been disrupting my life, who would I want to talk to about that? And what would make it safe for me to do that? Um, And that takes time. And I think that it's important that that's explored and so that it can feel as safe as it it can be. 
there's other ways also of doing it so engaging with other people's stories that you might relate to or have similarities with that in itself can be quite confronting and difficult so again it's thinking about what feels manageable it may be writing it down so I know that some of the people I work with have found it very helpful to write it down and to read it back because it almost brings it out of ourselves onto paper and we can see it in a different way when we do that and just really to 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 work with some of those feelings some of those opportunities but I think also you know, I'd really love for people to feel that this doesn't have to define who they are. And it certainly doesn't have to define how their future is going to be. And that there are many people who are out there who are very willing and and want to be there to help them along that journey. So what does that mean that this doesn't have to define who we are? I suppose what I mean is that, you know, we change all the time. And actually, when we think about how we've got to be who we are, all of those experiences are important, but who we are in the future is also defined by who we are now and who we will be tomorrow and the choices that we make tomorrow and the next day. And so we, I guess we know through things like, I don't know, like the research into developmental psychopathology, we know through the wonders of neuroplasticity that we are always changing and evolving and developing and that actually there are many opportunities for you to take your life in in different directions and to relate to yourself in different ways as well. And that could be one way of actually stepping away from a past pattern into a more helpful one that we choose because a lot of the stories I've heard of people having suffered through difficult experiences that there wasn't much choice you know especially when we've gone through things in our childhood what choice do we have as children but when we are adults and we have autonomy we can make healthier choices and that's where we kind of thinking about connecting with values or connecting with what's going to be meaningful, what's going to be helpful rather than harmful, which is one of my favorite phrases from compassion-focused therapy is how can I be helpful rather than harmful to myself? And that can be something that can apply to trauma or to to anything, you know, unhealthy relationships, anything that we are engaging with that's not going to be helpful for us. And you've talked a lot about sort of the holistic practice you have in the Bodhar practice of how you connect this with the body. How would these kind of difficult past experiences show up in the body? So I think in terms of how we think about the connection between the mind and body, of course, a lot of our felt experiences are through the body. So we talk about this idea of neuroception or if you like polyvagal theory, which uh, without getting into lots of complexities about that, is this idea that there are pathways, you know, through the body to the brain and back again and actually when we are experiencing stress or when we're experiencing depression we know that that has multiple impacts on the body and also the other direction as well in terms of the food that we eat the nutrition that we have in our lives and I I know that you spoke to somebody very helpfully about that um, on one of your other podcasts Michaela and actually we might notice that we are experiencing suffering in the body in different ways in terms of how we nourish ourselves or how we punish ourselves but also the stress that we might be holding in different elements of our body so I guess what I mean by that is that sometimes we can feel overwhelmed by emotion and that can feel like we're completely out of control and everything feels very chaotic and we feel like we do not have control over our bodies you know that the heart is racing or our body's very anxious or agitated we can't sleep These are very bodily felt emotions, but for other people, they can feel very cut off from the body, almost like I'm telling the story and it's deeply traumatic, but I feel nothing. I'm not connected at all with my body. And so actually, I think when we can connect the two together, so when we can work both in psychological therapy, but also bring the body in. So for example, using movement, using nutritional therapy, using breathing practices, what we start to do is to create those connections again with the body. So being able to bring in, what does it feel like to be connected with emotions? What does it feel like to be soothed in the body? What does it feel like to release tension? What does it feel like to allow us to shut down enough to go to sleep, to allow sleep to come and to be healthy and productive for us? And so that's sort of part of how we try to think about it connecting together. Yes, absolutely. And obviously, you're, you're speaking to the converted already, you know, on my 
pause purpose play retreat day so I would sort of connect sitting around talking from the community having that kind of normalizing that we get from hearing other people's stories and and connecting with strangers and hearing that I'm not alone in the suffering but also then doing things that are very very body-based where it's actually harder to hide away from your body you might kind of you might put systems in place where you don't have to talk, talk about things and think about things but when we have body experiences it's much harder uh you know so we do things like walking a labyrinth we uh we have yoga we have dance there's lots of different things where there's kind of mindful eating and i think when we have these kind of practices that you and i have around sort of being guided by the research and evidence based around body and mind i think that's the that's the way going forward with modern psychology that is it's not enough to just sit and talk about it so many of my clients have had that powerful experience of they had a session with me and then they went off and did something else and they've come back saying actually i tried this uh, or I went on a long hike, or I went and saw a reflexologist, or a, whatever it might be, where they had a body experience, and then they come back and they're ready to talk about it. So it's almost like a dance back and forth between the mind and the body. So I very much, very much converted. So I've loved chatting about these difficult things. I just wonder if we can think of anything you would like to say to people listening who would find this really, really difficult to seek out help for this. You know, what can we say to ourselves in the here and now? about the past that we've experienced, if we have experienced a difficult past? Is there anything that we can say that would be soothing and helpful? Yeah, I mean, I think, I guess I was just thinking about what you were saying, actually. I really like this idea of, of, of the dance, you know, the dance that, that we do with ourselves. But I was also thinking about when I first confronted my story, actually, and it's quite interesting. I think I was doing my training, my doctoral training, and we were doing some particular uh, learning about a particular kind of therapy. And I suddenly started to feel incredibly anxious in my body. So it wasn't a thought or a memory that struck me first of all. It was actually a huge overwhelming sense of anxiety. And I had that feeling for about a week. And I thought, ah, <laughs> uh, this isn't, I'm not doing this just because I'm interested. I'm, I'm doing it also because there's obviously something in me that is taking me down this journey, this path. And that took me into my first experience of, of therapy. And it ha- I've gone in and out of therapy at different times. I've been in it for a long time. I've been in it for a short time. And it is difficult, I think, to allow yourself to hold your hand up and say, I, you know, actually, I think I could do with a bit of help with this. And maybe someone can help me with it. And I think really it's this idea that it's almost like a self-acceptance journey, isn't it? I think that your story makes you who you are, that it is an important story. It's a valid story. It is one that deserves to be heard and deserves to be told. And that even when life has been challenging, when there have been many adversities, that there are also there is also hope. You know, I think that's the thing. You know, hope is a great antidote to fear and, and sadness and that there are always opportunities no matter how old you are actually some people come to see me very much later in life there are always opportunities to to do that work with yourself to go on that journey and you may go in and out of that journey and that's all right as well and so I think it's about knowing that there is hope there is opportunities that you are allowed to feel what you're feeling but you're also allowed to connect with yourself and to live the life and be the person that you want to be. And that also your story will contain moments of joy, things you can be proud of. Um, and, you know, they deserve equal attention. I really agree with that, that it's, it's a balancing there of, of the light and the dark. Um, I've sort of said this in the podcast before that my first sort of working title for it was Living Life Light and Dark, because I felt that that would give me space to talk about everything from like the fun of playing to you know the the darkness of grief but I was told that the title was too gloomy so so it was like well it's life life is a a gloomy at times right so I think we as psychologists have such stigma and shame as well around the fact that we have stories you know we're not blank canvases we're not empty slates Uh, we we are human and we have had stories and a lot of people um, have come into this profession of helping and healing 
um, because we've experienced hardship and we feel like we want to help other people make peace with their hardship. So I think I'm really glad that you shared that vulnerability. Um, We obviously don't need to go into the contents of our story, but actually putting our hand up and saying, I have a story too. You know, I am human, I have suffered. And that is the beauty uh, I find with compassion-focused therapy, that it makes space for us practitioners to also say, you know what, we also have suffering. And uh, this space about therapy is not about my suffering, it's about yours, but know that I am right there with you. You know, I have, I've, I've got pain too, and I will help you. And I can be a few steps ahead of you, but I'm not someone who's never had pain. Because if I went to see a therapist, I wouldn't really necessarily like that. I like someone who's human. So it's really, really powerful that you share that, Natalie, that you've been vulnerable with that about having had a story. So we're going to start to draw things to a close soon, but I want to ask you one more thing, because it's something that came up when I was thinking about preparing for our chat today, about sort of dealing with our past, of when sometimes people talk about reparenting, you know, what does it mean to reparent oneself for those of us who may have grown up with challenging childhood experiences and didn't have a safe parent figure at the time? What does it mean to reparent yourself? I think it's a really good question. And um, being a parent myself, (laughs) I remind myself of this often. And I think it's always good to also mention it, which is that parenting is about being good enough. And, you know, often when we want to reparent ourselves, it's really important to remember that as well, that on our reparenting journey, that it it just has to be good enough. You know, we can't be that perfect parent to anyone really, and ourselves included. But I think a good place to start is to ask, you know, what would you have liked more of or less of from your own parent figures, whoever they may have been? So you may have liked more warmth, for example, you may have liked them to have been more present, more available to you. Equally, you might have liked less of an intrusive parent figure or in in terms of the intrusiveness, I mean, or less conflict. But also, I think it's really nice to ask, well, what would I keep, actually? So what are the things that I would keep? So what were the moments that I enjoyed the type of parenting that I had? They might be moments of joy or playfulness or a sense of ritual that was created. It might also be very helpful to, again, going back to what we were saying before, actually, this idea of, is there anything about the parenting that I didn't like that I am doing to myself? Is there a way I'm parenting myself now? that repeats something that I didn't like and that I still dislike. Um, So that might be, for example, if we had a parent that was quite critical or judgmental, you know, is that continuing on in your own life? Are you parenting yourself in that critical way? And I think once you've got a good picture of that, um, because it is different for everybody, then we can start to think about, all right, so now that I know what I want to keep, now I know what I want a bit more of, a bit less of, what would it look like? for me to move towards that. So step by step, what could I do to be, to embody a bit more of those things that I would like? I mean, if we think about it from a secure attachment point of view, and I know that you, again, you spoke about this on another podcast, it might be good for people to check back in on that. But if we think about secure attachments, often what we're talking about are in this idea of of a warm and loving relationship of being really tuned into emotions and noticing them, being sensitive to them, validating and naming them and being responsive. So rather than reactive, responding to those emotions, the ability to feel close and safe and soothed. And I think that's both with ourselves as much as with other people. And also all those things about availability and consistency and reliability And actually, a lot of this does come through in compassion-focused therapy, which is why I really love it, actually, which is this idea of bringing that into the work that we do with people. What what might that feel like? And sometimes we do have to build that from the ground up. If if that feels quite alien, we do build that from the ground up. and, And that's certainly part of the work. And also, you know, coming into a therapeutic relationship, we know that that relationship in itself is a big part of that reparenting journey of being able to come and sit with a psychologist or a therapist in which you can be also on the receiving end of those qualities and experiencing what that feels like in in a therapeutic relationship as well. Absolutely. And I think just to make it clear that there is not an expectation that someone who comes into therapy from the beginning to be able to treat themselves in the way that they weren't treated as a child 
that's not something that we expect happening in the beginning. That would be sort of a hope that we can get towards that, towards uh, you know, the end of therapy to, to start to re- you know, relating to yourself in a way that's different to how you were related to as a child. So that's not the beginning, that's the end, I suppose. And it's an ongoing journey. It's not sort of like I come to that destination and now I'm never going to be mean to myself ever again. It's just much more about noticing when those patterns show up, noticing when you're being hooked back into uh, past patterns. So I love that aspect of compassion-focused therapy as well, that it's not about expecting someone to be able to do those. That might be actually a massive skills deficit. I don't know how to be kind to myself. I was never shown how to do that. So we, yeah, like you're saying, it's, it's a layering up process, isn't it? That we will help equip the, the clients or patients with those skills to be able to slowly, bit by bit, be kinder to yourself, be able to be less self-critical if you've grown up with those kind of patterns. So ongoing journey for all of us, no doubt. I haven't finished mine yet, so um, <laughs> to be continued. I think most of us are aware that actually a lot of the therapeutic processes we learn in an episode of therapy are ongoing, regardless if that's been focused on past or present, um, then it's something that we have to keep practicing because if you uh, if you don't use it, you lose it. So that's been really helpful to kind of explore that, that, you know, talking to ourselves differently and kind of telling ourselves that actually no one, no wonder that I can't treat myself so kindly right now because I didn't really have that when I was growing up. That's a really powerful thing. And that can then change the future of how we then treating the next generation. How am I talking to my children? If I can talk to myself, child part of me differently, I can also talk to my children differently. So we, we don't continue that cycle. So thank you so much for sharing all of that wisdom. I could talk to you all day, no doubt. And I'm sure this is going to be an episode that the listeners will really want to hear more of. And I'm hoping to, I'm going to steer people to some of the other conversations that you mentioned. So the, um, the episodes with Ties Gibson uh, around attachment. And also the one with Dr. Tracy, Tracy Dalglish. They were really, really helpful ones when we kind of understand how in the present we're replicating some of the past attachment patterns we've experienced as a child. So drawing things to a close, and you've obviously been very helpful in sharing a little bit about how you've dealt with your journey and why you're here as a psychologist, dealing a little bit with kind of how you connected with your purpose. But let's think about the pausing element. I know that you've done a lot of collaborations with yoga teachers and other sort of practitioners who do breath work and body related things. How do you pause? How do you switch off from all of this, you know, passionate, purposeful work that you do? Yeah, you know, that is a work in progress, I would say. <laughs> I am not, the pausing is not my strong point. Um, I think it's really difficult, isn't it? When we do jobs that we love and we're passionate about, well, I should talk about myself really. It's it's tricky, but then again, my husband would tell you that I'm terrible at relaxing, and mm. he's probably right. But um, I I do I suppose I tend to switch off more using active things. So it, you know I go to CrossFit, but I also love yoga. So that's one way that I find I'm much better with yoga actually than with sitting in quiet meditation. So for me, if I want to do a meditative practice. Uh, it's much better for me to use movement or sound as part of that. And, and that's, I've brought that into the practice as well, because I'm sure I'm not alone. I love music, so I can get lost in music and listen to it for a long time. And just being with my children, I think that you can't, I mean, my children are very young, so you can't help but be present when you're, when, when I'm, at least when I'm with my children, the very boisterous boys, um, and being with friends. And I think just that, that sense of like connection and, and feeling connected. Um, is really good for me and massage I love massage and having baths so you know all of that and but I would like to do more of it in my life actually and and now that my oldest son is just about to go to school um, I'm really trying to structure my working life around the school day so that there's more time for pausing and there's more time for breaks and um, so I'm very mindful of that and as I say it's a work in progress for me but it's that preconceived notion that the pausing or a mindful moment has to come through stillness and seated meditation. And I think anyone who feels the same, uh, and I'm very much the same, I, I prefer, you know, uh, an hour and a half of yoga and, and this kind of a, a seated meditation or lying down meditation at the end, I can much more kind of tolerate that than I would just pressing play on meditation. And I do love seated meditations or getting myself to do them 
it's a different story. So for anyone who feels the same, listen to the Shamash Aladina episode when he talks very lightheartedly about simple things we can do to be mindfully present in the moment and pause, which isn't about half an hour meditations. So you, you and me both, Natalie, I think this is an ongoing progress uh, to be made there. So we'll, we'll make a commitment to check in with each other of how we can kind of find pockets of pausing because when you've got two young kids, it's, it's not easy, is it? So you have to just do what works for you. Lastly, what about playfulness then? You said that you do do enjoy things that are more active, but how do you play? What's fun, creative and innovative for you? Yeah, so, um, and by the way, yes, please on the checking in. I'm, I'm totally up for that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so play, so I, I'm not, play is much easier for me and I know it's not for everybody, but I'm a big, I'm a big fan of play. And I wonder if this is because my dad is quite a playful person. You know, we talk about the past. And my dad now is in his, is in his 80s, but he's still quite playful. And actually, I think it's kind of come through to me that, you know, I find play much easier than pausing, actually. So the beautiful thing about having children, aside from the frustrations and lack of sleep, is that I get to go to trampoline parks and climb around on playgrounds and um, do all the stuff that, uh, that children do. So I quite enjoy that. And actually... It's quite funny because we've toyed with the idea of leaving London many times. Oh, you know, live in the countryside. But actually, you know, I'm from a big city, so I grew up in Birmingham. And I think I've made peace now with the fact that for me, I love a city and I love going out into the city and exploring everything it has to offer, whether it's museums or theatre or dance. And I just love all of that, really. So I'm, I'm a big consumer of fun. You know, offer me a festival and I'll be there. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things I wanted to do with creating my own practice was also to bring fun into my work and to be able to bring fun into the way that we work with people and be creative with that and offer different spaces in which we can talk about mental health and talk about emotions and be fun and creative with it as, as much as we might be serious and do the other side of work as well. Absolutely. And I think that's why obviously why I created Pause Purpose Play, that to find the permission to play, to feel safe enough to do it. And for a lot of people, it's hard to do the seated, seated sort of pausing, but actually losing yourself in the moment or going to something that is stimulating that can also be really restful. So thank you for sharing that. Lastly, as a wrap up, what would be the one tangible takeaway you would give to listeners who've been kind of learning about how we can deal with our pasts? What permission do you want to give them or what pressure do you want to take off them? I suppose I'd like to give them the permission to tell their story. But by that, I think I mean the permission to reconnect with themselves, to allow themselves to be whole. So to allow themselves to have a past and to have a story and to be a whole person that can be all of those things together and to be able to have the opportunity to release the pressure that they may be feeling of holding or suppressing that story and perhaps the shame or blame or self-judgment that comes along with that. It's a very big one and it's not an easy one but that was is what I would love to offer up to the people listening. Fantastic and that just makes me want to go and see you for therapy which wouldn't be appropriate because we're friends. But for anyone who would like to come and see you or your, any of your team members for therapy, they can obviously head to the Bodar practice. And you are also on social media, I believe. What's your handle on Instagram? Yeah, so on Instagram, I am Dr. Natalie Bodart. Um, and we are the Bodart practice on Facebook as well. Um, so they can find us there. Um, and on the website, we've got little videos and things. And we have a newsletter if people want to join that. We send out... Um, holistic practices every couple of weeks that people might enjoy so they're very welcome to come and join or, or, or in, make an inquiry if they want to work with us we'd be very happy to hear from them fantastic so thank you so much for joining us today Natalie and demystify this idea of 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 working through the past and doing the work and and connecting with so many compassionate concepts so thank you so much for being a lovely guest today Oh, it's been my absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Michaela. Thank you, dear listener, for getting to the end of this conversation about how we can compassionately deal with the past. As you may have noticed, we are both quite passionate about compassion-focused therapy. That is not the only therapy model that I'm trained in and same for Natalie, but it works particularly well for dealing with shame, self-criticism, 
and when we've had difficult experiences in the past that we're trying to come to terms with. So that doesn't mean that that's the only therapy model we would advocate for or would say would be helpful in dealing with the past. By no means, no. But it's something that we both work with routinely. If you want to learn more about compassion-focused therapy, you can go to the Compassionate Mind Foundation and learn about what this charity is doing to spread the word around compassion. You can also listen to other episodes I've recorded around compassion. A lot of the episodes coming from my book, The Lasting Connection, are to do with compassionately treating yourself differently. If this is really difficult for you, if you are struggling to come to terms with your past, do reach out for a therapist. Go to speak to someone like myself or Natalie or any of the other psychologists who have been featured on the podcast. It is not too late to deal with something that may have happened to you many years ago or even decades ago. Because making peace with the past can help build a better future. And lastly, I'm going to ask you a little favour. I frequently say this, but I'm going to say it again. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. Please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts because it increases the visibility of this podcast so that more people can listen to it and take away snippets of insight and learning. You know what? That could be the difference between them reaching out for support and carrying on, holding on to their pain. So please leave us a rating and review and share this episode to as many people as you can think of so we can increase the visibility of it. And until I speak to you all next time, please do take care of yourself. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I know it's not easy when you feel busy and overwhelmed to find time for another thing to do. If this is you, if you feel overwhelmed or that you are close to your breaking point, then I've got a downloadable checklist for you that's going to help. This checklist is called Calm the Overwhelm. The first section has signs and symptoms of you being overwhelmed mentally or physically, showing you that you might be close to breaking point or burning out. The second part is actionable, easy things you can do to try to slow down and give yourself a break. And the third part is a checklist of all the things that might show up when you're asking yourself to take a break. Perhaps your inner critical voice will have an opinion about why you're not allowed to give yourself the permission to pause. To download this free resource, go to www.thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm. So that's thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm. This episode of the Pause Purpose Play podcast was presented by me, Michaela Thomas. And you can find me on thethomasconnection.co.uk. And because great work rests on having a great team, this episode was kindly edited by Emily Crosby Media.